Welcome to Teamwork, A Better Way, the podcast filled with stories, experiences, and insights from leading high-performing team experts. Here are your hosts, Spencer Horn and Christian Napier. Well, good morning or afternoon or evening, wherever you might be, everyone. I'm Christian Napier. I'm joined by Spencer Horn, who is the brainchild of this operation. Spencer, it's great to see you. How are you doing? Great. Good to be with you. Had a we just had a long President's Day weekend here in in the United States. Did you do anything special this weekend? Well, we kicked it off in grand style by having lunch with our good friend Patrick at Red Iguana. Yes, we did. Uh, <laughs> yes, we did. <laughs> so that got that that was a great start to the weekend. And no, we, I mean we just basically spent it with family. We had our our um, son and daughter-in-law came over for dinner on Sunday, and we had a really great evening with them. Uh, yesterday was busy with work, and so it really wasn't a holiday for me. I don't know about you. Were you able to take? No, any time I worked. Off? I, I worked the whole day. You know, people who, who don't know me, they're like, "Well, you're working on a holiday." No, listen, I I'll be off several days in the next two weeks, and so I work and play when 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 I want. So. Well, it's great to see you. Um, did you get down to Southern Utah to uh, hike Zions? I, I did. I mean, the plan was to hike Angel's Landing. We were going to do a winter hike and we, were, we would have crampons and and because it's, you know, it's a pretty treacherous hike with cliffs and chains you have to hold on to. And, and anymore, to do these really cool hikes is almost impossible. You have to apply for lottery tickets. And, and I did. You have to do it the day before. So at 12.01 on Friday morning, I applied for our trip that we were going on that very day to hike on Saturday. And we didn't know until 3 o'clock on Friday afternoon whether or not. So I had, you know, I had a hotel. Uh, we, we, we were going to go camping this time of year. Just didn't have enough prep. And my son's headed out of town to do uh, for business. And so we just wanted it to be pretty um, hassle-free. But um, we had to have a plan B because, you know, we didn't know if we were going to get them. And we plan B was we went into Kolob Canyon, which is, you know, that that kind of northwestern entrance of Zions National Park. And my son found a trail. It's called Taylor Creek. And there's a there's a South Fork and a North Fork. And the North Fork is a trail that apparently very few people go on. It's a lot of underbrush. And we're hiking through the snow. There's no tracks. We don't know where the trail is. I've got GPS. And so we're like 10 times we're off the trail. We're hiking through water. Our feet are wet. I mean, it's it's cold. We use crampons because it's icy, but it was absolutely gorgeous. And we we took the road less traveled. I mean, we didn't see a single soul when we were out there, and we were, you know, yelling echoes in the canyon. It was a lot of fun. It was beautiful. Well, it sounds amazing, Spencer. And uh, uh, kudos to you for for doing that with your with your boys. I mean, what a what a what a fantastic experience. Speaking of fantastic, we've got an interesting topic. I'm super excited about it uh, for our conversation today. Uh, so, Spencer, why don't you tell us what we're talking about? Well, we're going to talk about is really the we're going to talk about stay interviews, and you, you've heard of exit interviews, most of you who are listening, with uh, employees that leave a, a company. Maybe you've conducted them. Maybe you've had uh, one. You know, when you left an organization where they asked you about you know, why you're leaving and what would have caused you to stay and, and that sort of uh, line of questioning. But the idea of a stay interview, I think, is absolutely fascinating. 
And I think it's extremely wise because it gives an organization an opportunity to understand the pulse of what's going on with their company, the, the good, the bad, the ugly, and what, what it is they need to do. And, and I think in, in a leadership and an organization that is willing to do this will find great benefits. So that's the topic today. And I know you have a tremendous amount of experience with this because you've actually been uh, contracted to conduct uh, interviews like this, have you not? I have, I have, I, you know, just to give a little bit of context, what prompted this uh, for you, Spencer, was you saw an article in Forbes magazine written by John Hall talking about stay interviews versus exit interviews. So viewers, listeners, uh, feel free to check out that article. I think it's really good. And one of the most important things that he pointed out there was that increasingly people are leaving jobs because they are not feeling connected with their employers, right? Right. So there's this disconnect. And I'm actually curious to hear from your perspective because you work with so many companies. uh, What is the cost to these organizations when they lose employees? You know, you you get key people are leaving for whatever reason. Uh, Perhaps they're not happy with their compensation, but oftentimes, like you said, you know, as the author points out, people are feeling disconnected from their employers. Uh, What is the cost to the to the employers when the people leave? Usually, interestingly enough, Christian uh, pay is is like fourth on the list of things that that they're frustrated about. And uh, a lot of it has to do with just, as you said in the beginning, as it relates to this article, is feeling disconnected. And the cost is significant. I've been sharing costs with my clients for for years, and it varies based on the position and the type of company. Obviously, is it an hourly employee? Is it a C-suite employee? But the cost can can run between fifty percent of their annual salary, all the way up to two hundred and twelve percent. If it's a you know if it's a C-suite of their annual salary is the cost. And and, and let me explain. Now, if you want to get just granular for an hourly employee, you, you know, you're going to lose a minimum of $4,500 replacing uh, that employee. That's just, the, that's just a hard cost, for example. So um, as I said, there's a range from 50% to, to 2.1, you know, 212% of their annual salary. And that's, you know, based on information that Gallup has gathered. Uh, Monster says between 75 and 200% of their annual pay. Uh, SHRM, which is the Society for Human Resource Management, say employers need to spend the equivalent of six to nine months of an employee's salary to find and train their replacement. So there's so many different perspectives and views because you, you have to think about not only are you, are you replacing them, but they're coming in and not going to be as productive as the person that was there before. I'll talk about that in a second. And the cost, um, as I said, of, of the hourly can be 4500 that's according to american progress and an employee in a technical position costs more than 100% to 150% of their salary according to j uh, gna partners and and so these are these are real <laughs> these are real dollars there's also indirect costs so two thirds of all sunk costs due to turnover are intangible and they include things like knowledge lost, right? You brain drain. You you lose people. This was happening when the baby boomers were retiring. They were taking so much of their institutional knowledge with them. 
But if you have a, a valued employee, once they leave, all that, that knowledge and expertise is gone as well as their productivity. So you lose knowledge, you lose their productivity. And when companies experience extended job vacancies, and I have uh, worked with many companies that have unfulfilled positions sometimes for a year or more or two, that puts a huge drain on the rest of, of the team, and it harms the, the, the ability of the company to get the job done. It creates you know, lack of motivation for others. You know, I've, I've talked uh, on the show before about the project manager who had to do the work of four people. That is not uncommon. That happens a lot where even if you're making up for one other person, the, the work has to go on and you're doing the job of two people. Um, it can take one to two years for a new employee to get up to speed and to be as productive as, as the former employee was. And, and so you've got this, this time that, that also increases lost revenue. So if you, if you add all of this up, um, I, I, I just did some, some research. Lost productivity accounts for $1.8 trillion per year for U.S., United States businesses per year. And for turnover costs, they have calculated U.S. businesses are spending over $1 trillion just related to turnover costs per year in the United States. Those are significant, significant costs. Well, yeah, I mean, you're, you're looking at, you know, what, 7 to 8% of total uh, U.S. GDP uh, impacted by this. So it's a it's a massive, it's a massive impact. And, you know, and stay in that on a micro level, don't you? Oh, we know we're just, we're just losing this employee and that employee, but you add all of that up and that is a enormous impact. Sorry to. It, it, it is an enormous impact. And, uh, you know, one of the things that you, you pointed out also is, is, uh, depending on how it goes, it could have a cascading effect when you lose one person, especially a key person who may be respected in the organization, uh, you know, others may follow, right? So, so it's not always an isolated uh, incident, right? When, when, when people leave, I, I remember in, in the Salt Lake 2002 games, uh, we, the, the head of HR uh, left his former employer to become the head of HR for the organizing committee who was, you know, planning the 2002 games. Well, that guy brought a lot of his team with him, you know, so the future CFO of, of the organizing committee, plus a couple of directors and uh, a few other key personnel ended up leaving with him. Right. So it's not only, well, I got to replace this one person, but what happens if it's a key individual who then, brings others with him or her or what happens if you know someone sees hey uh, this person's leaving for for a different opportunity uh maybe i need to go find a different opportunity you know maybe i should look at the writing on the wall maybe things aren't so great here maybe i need to go you know so you start seeing an exodus of of people and and so the the impact just multiplies as more and more people leave the organization you 
know, it absolutely can have a negative impact on, on morale. You know, we see this in, in sports all the time. A coach goes to a new team, takes their offensive coordinator with them, their defensive coordinator, whatever. And so team has to, to, to rebuild and, and that can be very, very traumatic. And it, it just reinforces the saying that people don't leave companies, they leave people. They don't stay with companies, they stay with people, which is why the article, you know, references is that this is a very personal process, having that, that stay interview. It's about having an opportunity to connect at a personal level with the members of your team. And you and I, uh, you know, we love sports and we've talked about Andy Reid uh, before on, on this team, who is the uh, head coach of the, uh, the Kansas City Chiefs. And I think one of the things that I admire about uh, Andy Reid is just the report that he is somebody that's able to take players that may not uh, have succeeded elsewhere. Maybe they have uh, failed because of uh, um, behavioral issues for whatever reason, and he takes them and makes them part of a, of a team because of the culture that he's created so strong. Um, and he knows them. He knows what's going on in their lives. He's not just an executive in an ivory tower. He knows their family members. He knows their wives' names, their children's names. It's a very personal connection that he has with his players. And I know some people get really frustrated when they hear this term, you know, it's a, we're a family. Get over that. I mean, yes, work is not your family, but there is a, you can have an environment where people feel just super grateful and connected and and motivated to to work hard for each other because of those relationships. And I think one of the best ways to describe that is is what we see in a you know a, a, a functioning family. And so, and that's a very rare occurrence, which is why you use that you know that that term not to equate them to a family, but just those relationships that that exist. And I think that's really one of the things that has helped them to be so successful, even through adversity that they've had this past year, where they didn't have the greatest record going into the into the playoffs, right? Yeah, that's right. Of course, uh, you're recalling painful memories for me because they beat my San Francisco 49ers. I'm a 49ers fan too, but I'm also a chief fan. <laughs> but I got to give props to their coach, Andy Reid, who is a BYU grad. So, I mean, he's got local ties. And yeah. Uh, um, so, yeah, everything that you said, are abs it's absolutely right. And the players love him, right? They really respect him as well as his assistant coaches, the people on the team. In fact, I was... I was listening to a podcast. Uh, I think it was last week with a who, with a, a former member of his staff back when he was in Philadelphia. Remember when he was in the Philadelphia Eagles oh, yeah. uh, organization as the head coach? They didn't win, right? They 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 went to a lot of. They got close, but they never. They went to the Super Bowl, didn't they? they? Just didn't win the Super Bowl. Yeah, they went to the Super Bowl, but they lost, and eventually, uh, it cost Andy Reid his job, yeah. and. Uh, uh, but you know this assistant or this he was a lower lower person in the organization he you know he's just like a, a uh, like a program coordinator or something you know, a scout I think he was a scout or something not not close to the head coach right um, recounted this experience where it was getting close to Thanksgiving and um, Coach Reed asked him oh, what are you doing for Thanksgiving dinner. And he was in Philadelphia alone. He, he, he didn't have a relationship with anybody else. And he was not close to family or whatever. And he says, oh, I don't know. I, I guess I'm just going to kind of hang out. And he says, well, why don't you come have Thanksgiving dinner with us? And so 
uh, he invited this low-level junior staffer. And there's nothing in him for there's dinner. nothing in that relationship for Andy Reid. No, no, no. Uh, but that guy, I mean, here it is. You know what? You know what? Fifteen years later, or whatever, you know, is recalling that story super fondly of Andy Reid. And this is a guy who is very close to the 49ers organization. Would like to see the 49ers win, but recalls very fondly his time working for Andy Reid because he invited, he took the time and invited him over to his house to have Thanksgiving dinner with some other coaches and, and, and uh, things. So it wasn't just him, you know, it was, so it was I, I got to add one more story that I know one of my clients was an HR director for the East coast for Wendy's uh, corporation and uh, was in Philadelphia. That's, that's home basically just outside of Philadelphia actually was in the same church congregation as, as Andy Reed. And so he would talk to me about him cause um we we're all kind of the, the same faith and he would just say he's he's just as real as they come he comes to church and just connects with with people he's not pretentious in any way and i and i love that because that's what we're we're, we're creating an opportunity for you as a leader to to show your authenticity to show that you care about your people not necessarily by having them over for Thanksgiving dinner or whatever, but by sitting down with them and having a real discussion, which is what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about how to do that. What are the benefits of that? And and, and one of the greatest benefits is, is you potentially are going to increase your retention. Turnover is a huge problem in, in the United States and, and in many places around the world. And, and as we've just shared with you, there are significant costs. If you can reduce that even a small amount, that's savings to the bottom line. So this is not just about mercenary, you know, uh, affecting the bottom line. It is when you truly take an approach to care about people, it just, it, it just impacts everything for the better. I, I totally agree. Why don't we dive into the, the principles here? You know, the, the author of the article, John Hall identifies uh, four items uh, that are, components of a quote-unquote state interview yeah uh number one is do it yourself don't farm it out to hr which i think is very very important why and, uh, and think about that why why well because ultimately your people need to have a relationship with you as their leader right and not uh, hr sorry for all you HR, hr people out there <laughs> yeah so i mean hr does its, its job and it's important but the leaders of teams need to build personal connection and relationships with their team members. Right. And so they need to take this responsibility on themselves and not try to farm it out to somebody else. Exactly. So the, the second part was uh, ask them how they're doing, meaning ask your team members how they're doing. Yeah. I mean, you're not coming into this with an agenda, a bunch of stuff you want to get done. Right. So you're asking them how they're doing. And, you know, some simple techniques that the author references are, hey, you know, actually listen, pay attention to what they're saying. Uh, make eye contact, take notes, you know, things of this nature. Uh, number three is that ask them how you're doing as a leader. Uh, uh, you know, what can I do to help you? Uh, In other words, you're ask, you're giving them permission to give you feedback as a leader, which is one of the most important things that you can do to create self-awareness and improve your leadership capacity and just your ability to connect with people. Ask them how you're doing. People want to... <laughs> what is that that that, that movie uh you know help me help you 
<laughs> yeah, so absolutely right. And then the final uh, point was, well, then make sure you take action, right? Do something about it. If you, people, if people come to you and they're looking for answers and and or they're coming to you with ideas for how to make things better, and you don't take any action then they'll lose faith in you, right? Yeah, it actually, it actually turns out worse. But, but I do have a caution, and that is um, if you can't take action, let them know that. Like, you know, if they say, well, I, I want to raise, and that's just not in the budget, have that conversation. Okay, I, you know, I, I can do this, this, and this, but this we can't do. And, and be honest about what you will and, and will not do. Um, so don't make promises that you cannot or will not keep. Now you bring up this question is very interesting question as I want to raise, right? Uh, sometimes that's, that's the topic of, uh, an annual performance review, you know, these formal, uh, feedback, uh, interviews that you have. And I'm curious to hear from your experience. Are these stay interviews and these annual performance reviews one and the same, or are they different? And if they're different, uh, how often should we be conducting as leaders these stay interviews? I mean, is it something that we do all the time? Do we do it once a quarter, twice a year? You know, when and how often do we do these interviews? And what's the difference between the, the quote unquote stay interview and the more formal annual performance review. So interview. I'm going to answer that part, and I want you to answer the frequency part because I know that you've done some thinking about this. And and um, but they are absolutely different. The stay interview and the um, the annual review. The annual review is really about um, maybe that the the standing that employee has in the company, or it's an opportunity f to give feedback about what they can improve. Um, so the focus is from the employer's perspective. Here's, you know, here's what I need you to do. And, and truly, I'm, I'm not a fan of that approach. I believe if somebody needs to be doing better, you should be having those conversations as needed throughout the year and not waiting for the year end to, to do that. So I'm, I'm not a fan of that. I am a fan of the, the stay interview, which is a focus on how they're feeling, how uh, the satisfaction level, the engagement level, um, how we can improve as a company, how I can improve as a leader. So you're giving feedback in, in the other way, which is absolutely necessary and important. And how to do that is also really important. We're not talking about that today. But to me, that's, that's a very different thing. Um, and I think if done well, an employee review can help an employee stay also. If done poorly, can be one of the reasons why they leave and you have to have an exit interview, right? Um, I, I've told this again and again and again, people are going to be tired of hearing it. I, I was given feedback by one of my great mentors. If I didn't make changes, I would, uh, I, I would have to find another job or he would have to replace me. And I think some people today don't have the resilience or uh, th that would really, with fragile egos, make them feel like, well, I need to look for a job right now. But for me, because of that personal relationship I had with that leader, it was a kick in the pants to say, hey, I'm going to do better because I don't want to let my, I don't want to let my coach, my, my boss, my, you know, my mentor down. And so that, that employee interview turned into, a, or, or a performance review turned into an opportunity for me to, to up my game. 
the employee stay interview is an opportunity for you as a leader and the organization to up their game. I think that's the biggest difference. Would you, would you agree? I think so. I think so. Uh, I, it's spot on uh, to come back to the point about frequency, like when you should do this. Yeah. I know you have some often. thoughts on this and so do I, but I, you, you know, tell me your, your deep thoughts. So, you know, of course, we should be having conversations and meeting with our people on a regular basis, if not daily, at least weekly, right? Just checking in and making sure that everything is going well and so on and so forth. Uh, But in addition to that, I think this, you know, there's some power in this day interview and making it a more formal thing. Uh, And the timing of that could vary depending on the nature of your work in your organization. So, uh, uh, you know, you could orient that around particular, uh, goals or KPIs that you have. So if you have quarterly sales targets or, you know, things of this nature, you could orient those interviews around the, those times. Or if you are working in a project-based environment, uh, you could do these, uh, depending on the length of the projects, you could you could do that at key uh, points in the project life cycle where, you know, certain deliverables are, or, or milestones are achieved. Uh, uh, so on and so forth. So it's, it's almost I, like you could build that into your, if you're taking a scrum approach, right? Every time you do your sprints at the end of the sprint, you could do a little check-in with the team. I mean, in some response uh, respects. Right? Yeah, exactly. Right. So, you know, as part of a sprint, you've got a retrospective at the end of it, you know, to yeah. talk about the sprint, but you could also take that time to have these kinds of conversations with, with people in your organization. Now you said you've got some thoughts on it as well. So, so what what are you thinking when it comes to yeah? The time so frequency? one of the tools that that I am a huge fan of is as you know the the, the ProScan by PDP Global, and it's a it, it's a psychometric assessment, it's a behavioral assessment for you know communication and leadership style. It is a, an incredible excuse to have a conversation with your employees because there's a component in this survey that measures stress and there's good stress and there's bad stress, right? The, the good stress that we experience is the stress that we put on ourselves to, to, you know, to get feedback, to, to challenge ourselves, to change our approach, to be a better leader. Um, the, the, the distress or the negative stress is the stress that, you know, is forced upon us. The survey measures what stress, how much stress, is it good stress or bad stress each employee is under? And you can see how much energy drain is happening. And it's fabulous because it gives you an opportunity to, to broach the subject. Hey, it looks like there's, there's a lot of energy drain that's coming. Is, you know, where's that coming from? Is that coming from work or is it coming from home? Sometimes there may be something going on in their personal life that's causing that energy drain, but it's showing up in the report. And, um, I mean, I have a great client right now that, you know, you talk about Andy Reid caring for their employees. This is um, a situation that, you know, that I have one of my CEOs has, you know, one of his directors who's hardworking. This is a construction company is having some problems at home with with one of their teenagers, Um, problems with with delinquency. And and it's just causing the parents to spend more time going and meeting with school counselors and and psychologists and and you know that that can be a real impact on their work performance and here is the ceo instead of saying you need to be here it's like hey how can how can we help how can we support you as you're going through this difficult situation at home 
And it makes me a little uh, emotional because um, that's a, a, a real leader. It's caring about people who are giving you their heart and soul. This is an employee that has a hard time not working, you know, 60, 70 hours a week. And the CEO's saying, no, you need to be with your wife. And, you know, we, we've got this, but how can we help you? But it, it, it creates an opportunity to have those kinds of discussions if that's something that's not naturally uh, naturally comes to you as, as a leader. And my recommendation is you do that twice a year. At, you know, I mean, you could do it once a quarter, but at least twice a year, have them take this survey because the, that stress measurement is good for about a month, right? Because then you have new stresses and new situations and, 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 and you want that, that data to be fairly accurate. But it gives you the perfect excuse to have a conversation. How you doing? And and we'll talk about some of the questions that you might ask, and we can even put those in the show notes. Perhaps, um, you know what what our listeners could ask in terms of creating a conversation and have a question. But from my perspective, to do to use this tool is the perfect opportunity and excuse to meet at least twice a year. Sorry, that's a long answer to your question. <laughs> Well, Spencer, I think the most important thing when it comes to these stay interviews is, again, it's about establishing connection and people will feel connected when they feel comfortable around you. And sometimes, you know, having these kinds of conversations can be a little daunting for someone, right? If they think, oh, my boss wants to talk to me, like, what do they want to talk about? They get a little (laughs) nervous. They tighten up. They may walk into the boss's office and say... Or, or not say anything or, you know, be a bit shy about sharing their feelings because I have a story. I have, have a personal be, story about that. They have to be vulnerable. So, so, you know, what do you do in your, if you're in this situation to help your employees feel comfortable having this kind of conversation? That That's a, that's a great question, but I, I, it happened to me. I, I was, uh, we just had our, our, Hey, uh, Shaheen from Bangladesh, great to great to hear from you. He's uh, he's chiming in today, and he's uh, he he works with with me on on uh, our social media and our YouTube. Just really grateful for all the work he's doing. This is a kid who, uh, by the way, if you need help with you know YouTube and and your social media promotion, he is he reached out so hard and I just like whatever I just kept ignoring him but he's the real deal and uh, I'm I'm really impressed with the work that that he does so way to go Shaheen anyway so <laughs> um hopefully you know that's that's a you know stay sometimes we we give kudos to people who who do good work for us but um so the situation was I was working for rapport leadership and we had the the CEO had just been fired and so we didn't have a president. We didn't have a CEO. The CFO was was the most senior leader at the time. And I remember him calling me, and I heard this, hey, Spencer, can you come back to my office? And the first, and here I am, you know, I'm a pretty seasoned executive. The first thought went to my, through my mind was, uh-oh, am I getting fired? What what have I done? Am I in trouble? And I was just going through, is there anything that I did that I that I made him mad? And I was nervous. And I remember walking back to Jay's office 
with dread. And I sit down getting ready to get the bad news. And he says, hey, I really need your help on, on some brainstorming on an idea that I have. And I'm like, <laughs> right? And so I, to answer your question, let them know what's going on. Hey, <laughs> I'd love to sit down with you and have a conversation about how things are going at work. I'd really love your feedback on how I'm doing as a leader and how we're doing as a company and making this a place where great people like you want to come and stay. And I'd, I'd love to take some time when we're, you know, we don't have any uh, interruptions and um, I have these times on my calendar, what, you know, what, what works well for you. Let them know why and, and what it's about so they can come in prepared, having thought about it and not just come in cold and, and be, be like I was and not in a, a frame of mind to be productive and, and creative. Well, I think a lot of this can tie back to the previous conversation that we had last week with Dr. Paul, Dr. Paul <laughs> Jenkins. Right. Uh, and so I encourage viewers, listeners, if you haven't checked that one out, oh, such a great episode. Out, go back and listen or watch that one. Because, you know, what you learn there is that we will create our own scenarios in our heads Always. because we want to fill in the missing information. And depending on the kind of person that we are and the way that we lean, we may tell ourselves a good story or we may tell ourselves a, a horrifying story and then we'll be all nervous going in and, and meeting with the CFO because we don't know what's going on. So and I as know a leader, better, right? I'm somebody that should know better that, you know, that, I, that thoughts are things. And yeah, that's right. So that's the problem. <laughs> but so, you know, what we learn from that is as a leader, if we can provide, if we can set the table, if we can let people know what to expect, and, and the view that we're sharing is a positive view, you know, then they're not asking these questions like, what's this person's ulterior motive? Why do they really want to talk to me? You know, am I going to get fired? Am I getting in trouble? What's wrong? You know, because people right. will go that way naturally if you don't help set the expectation. So, you know, I think the first part of having a successful stay interview is to properly manage the expectations. Right. So that people know what they're getting into, they know what's being asked of them, and they they understand uh, how helpful it can be to them and to the and to the company, and so they come in with a bit of a more positive attitude. Yes, I think that I think that's right. So, what else did, did, does the author say we need to be focused on? Well, one thing before we get into what the author, you know, author talks about, you know, by listening and all this kind of stuff, that I, you know, I wanting wanting to come back to the comfortable environment and understanding your individual employees. You know, maybe the office setting is not the best place to have this conversation. You know, maybe it's going out for lunch and having a conversation. You know, it depends on the individual and and your own personality as a, as a team member. But sometimes when you want to ask these kind of questions and make these kinds of connections, um, 
uh, you know, find a place that's comfortable for them to where they feel comfortable. If they feel comfortable in your office or in a conference room, that's great. And you can do that if, if so you think them, that they might feel comfortable. Where, you know, where they would feel comfortable. Yeah. You know, so, you know, try to figure out where, where, you know, where it's going to be most comfortable for them, yes. you know, uh, and also think about the, the, the ramifications of it, you know, because uh, if you, if you're only asking one person on the team to have this conversation, then the other team members start thinking, well, what is he doing? Or what is she doing? What is my boss doing? You know, yeah. like talking to this, this particular individual and, and they'll want to ask the person who, you know, or they potentially may want to ask the person who was participating. Hey, what did you guys talk about in there? So, so you that know? brings up a question that I have for you, Christian, and that is, do you share the information that you learn in the state interview with the whole company? Or do you keep it to yourself? I think it depends on the, it depends on the context of some of the questions, because, you know, maybe the person in your, on your team, who's having the struggle with the teenage son, maybe they don't want that publicly known, right? Like, Hey, you know, uh, Jeff over here is really struggling with his kid, uh, you know, and, and they don't want that. I'm not really, I'm not right? talking about that. I'm talking about, Hey, you know, we're really having a problem as a company, uh, uh, making people feel like they, they belong. And you hear that feedback. Do you share it? Yes. Uh, but also, um, make sure that people that you talk to are informed about your intention to share it and make sure that they give you consent to do that whether it's anonymous feedback or whether they want to put their name to it, because the last thing you want to do is appear to your team that you're violating confidences. Oh, right? yeah, a hundred percent. And, but tell me, so if you've gotten permission, why would it be beneficial to share even negative feedback? Well, it's, it's helpful to know where things are so that you can make the appropriate changes, right? If you all you're sharing, know, do you think employees know where things are as a company? Yeah, and then if you are communicating that everything's uh, hunky dory and you have this Pollyannish outlook, we've got all these great values. We are, you know, we are connected, we are engaged, we are whatever, and yeah. and you're not. You create... it comes back to the point that you hammer home all the time, which is authenticity, right, Spencer? Right. If if, uh, uh, if the outcomes, if you're not transparent, responsibly transparent in sharing your outcomes, then people just look at you as uh, whitewashing the truth and uh, you lose credibility because you're not authentic. Yeah, I, I think that is absolutely correct. And I think there are a lot of business leaders that struggle to share that information. They want to keep, you know, keep a lid on all, you know, there are countries, I, I know I didn't finish my thought there because like a new thought just came. There are countries that don't want anybody else around the world talking negatively about them because somehow that that gets out to their to their uh, citizens and it makes them dissatisfied in some way and uh, you know there's this this great individual from North Korea I can't remember her name but she's on all kinds of you know YouTube everywhere and she talks about you I mean speaking up against Kim Jong-il is you know you can be executed if you didn't if you didn't dust his picture off in your home and you know here <laughs> we have a, a, an environment where there are some leaders that don't want to have anybody say anything bad about their company because they think that that will somehow tarnish their reputation. What tarnishes your reputation is when people leave your organization and go out and talk about what's really going on 
and you not aware of what's really going on. And, you know, you can only hide the, the, the truth for, for so long and, and at a great cost. It takes a lot of energy to be able to do that. But to be able to have a, a culture where you can say, hey, listen, you know, we, we know that we can do better and we're struggling right now. And, and um, you know, we're going we're gonna to try to work on, on these things. We can't do everything at once and we're going to do our best. And, and we need your help. We need your help to help us know how we're doing. You know, HubSpot is a, is a great progressive company, marketing company, and they would take quarterly uh, employee engagement assessments and they would share those with, with the company to say, hey, you know, here's where we're doing. And they oftentimes would, would say, hey, we're struggling with our, our supervision. You know, our, our, our managers are, are inexperienced and they're creating some problems with, uh, you know, with the culture. And they were honest about it. I think that's I think that's very refreshing, and, and I think people uh, are are more apt to give you grace and forgiveness if you are facing facts and and talking about them rather than sweeping it under the under the rug. But the only way that you'll know that is if people are willing to share it with you, right, Spencer? So, 100%. The, you know, the question is, how do you get people to a place? How do you get your employees and your you know, the folks on your teams, how do you get them to a place where they're willing to share that kind of information? Because uh, oftentimes they, they hold it back. They might be afraid of, of the consequences of sharing. Well, that's that right. I mean, I think there's, you actually said it, there, there are a couple of types of, of people that work for you. Some that are very comfortable speaking up, right? Um, and, and I'd love to hear you expand on that. And, and one of the things that I know based on the, the, the behavioral assessments that, that I share with my clients all the time is there are certain personalities that are not going to speak up really for just about any reason, unless you really make them comfortable and invite them. They don't speak up first in meetings because they don't want to create controversy. They don't want to rock the boat. They don't want to stir the pot. Uh, one of my, uh, one of my clients was a, a you know, a, a cancer treatment for, you know, children. And um, one of the doctors was highly volatile, just a brilliant doctor. I mean, great at, at treating kids with cancer. So he got away with a lot of stuff, but he was like a Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. And the, the nurses, most of them have a certain profile. They're very, a lot of nurses are drawn to the nursing field because they are others focused. They are service oriented. They're low dominant usually lower extroversion, high, you know, empathy and, and high attention to detail. Very different from the doctors. And, and there's a lot of dynamics that happen in the healthcare industry between healthcare providers that is very toxic and, and unproductive. The nurses, they would put a little code on the, on the, uh, the uh, patient dashboard, you know, the, you know, they have up who, who the patients are that are needing treatment or attention and and they, everyone that was coming into work could know what kind of work day it was going to be by the, by the code that was up there. He's in a bad mood or he's in a good mood. That's just a, a toxic environment. But these nurses weren't comfortable addressing the doctor or leadership. They would just kind of kibitz among themselves. And when someone would leave, you just, they, they, they wouldn't talk about it. They would just leave. And so you didn't know that there was a problem until they're like, well, I thought they were happy. Now they're gone. So there's several, you know, types of personalities that are just not comfortable speaking up and you don't know why they're unhappy because they're not comfortable. So you're exactly right. You need to take the time to slow down, not be in a hurry, 
You're not doing this on the way to some other meeting. Not saying, hey, I, I, I just, I got a minute to talk to you. Do you have a minute? That's not going to, you know, sometimes you're also going to have to give something of your own self. Maybe, you know, ask them, is there anything you'd like to ask me? Well, well they may not, they may not do that. But to get really good at asking questions that are um, open-ended and invite people to engage. And I know you have a lot to say about that because you have a lot of experience in asking questions. Well, why don't we dive into that? You know, uh, I don't know what your experience has been like, Spencer, but sometimes uh, when you go into the when you go into a formal meeting like this, you may feel like you're being put on trial, right? Yeah. You know, uh, okay, so you come in with kind of a defensive mindset, like, okay, I need to defend my position. I need to justify why I've taken the actions that I've taken, or I haven't done the things that I've done, and so. Right. You, you kind of come, you come prepared for this kind of a conversation. And how do you diffuse that to, again, get people to feel comfortable? Uh, you know, we talked about this before and uh, also, again, before we came on air. Uh, so we've talked about it on other episodes as well is, is uh, don't ask these kind of why questions that can appear Accusatory. accusatory right, right. Yeah. yeah so so if you're not asking why questions like why did you do this why did you do that why do you and, think that yeah why do you think that where you're basically putting your employee on the witness stand and asking them to answer these questions right you know, uh it's just the worst and i i know we've all had experience with that where we felt uncomfortable <laughs> we get we get drilled on why we did this why we did that exactly. uh, so you know, one of the things that I've done, and I'm curious to hear your experience as well, is, you know, get rid of the why questions and talk about more how and what, you know, uh, uh, questions and have people kind of explain their process and, right. uh, you know, instead of trying to justify themselves. Uh, and one other thing uh, that I, I think about this when it comes to asking people about uh, their work is, is depending on the on the use case it may be to to take the you out of the question and and ask about their area you know so when when talking about the performance of something is i like you know, that you know, uh you know so you know tell tell me about the challenges that your area faced instead of telling me about the challenges that you faced right because Again, when we make it very personal, when we make the question personal, they feel on the spot cases. that they have to share everything about it. it, it, it yeah. puts it, it softens it by making it a little more third party. Yeah. So, so yeah, you know, just and again, you know, context is key here. But sometimes you'll get people to open up and feel more comfortable if you're asking them about their area rather than just asking them about them personally. You know. Yeah. Well, I think there, there's some. Um, I I use what's called a. a uh, information funnel to get the data that that I would like, and it starts with open-ended questions. But there are actually directed open-ended questions, and then very open-ended questions, and then you have closed-ended questions. And those are great in certain scenarios. For example, closing questions or getting agreements. Those are yes or no questions. Will you? Could you? Should you? Those types of things. But those are very much uh, 
you know, closed ended and you're not going to get as much discussion and, and uh, make an environment, even subconsciously, you know, people can ask, answer an open, a uh, closed ended question with an open ended answer, but it, it, it's not as comfortable. So the most open ended are a what question or help me understand, or please, you know, please share with me or please, you know, give me your perspective on your area. Then how uh, or when, or those are more directed open-ended questions. And then you can get to a closed-ended question, and that's more more directed, and, and you can certainly uh, go in that progression to get that, that information. Also, just some basic active listening skills, which means not interrupting. You are listening not to just respond, but to understand. To be present, as a coach, there are several levels of listening. First level of listening is you're listening for what they're saying and how it impacts you. Okay. Um, second level of listening is like you're you're just being with that individual. You know, this is going to seem weird, but imagine, you know, you're uh, in a cafe with your sweetheart or your you know, your significant other. And there's all kinds of noise and hustle and bustle going on, but you don't hear anything except for what that person across the table is saying to you. And you're not listening to, to, to give them some kind of answer or advice. It's just to be present. And one of the ways to do that is when somebody says something is to feed, you know, give, give them confirmatory feedback. Christian, what I heard you say is, um, that this is something that is concerning to you. Is is that correct? Did I understand? And you ask for confirmation for what you understand. And do you do that every single time? The answer is no. But I have found that when you do that appropriately, people are impressed because they feel like you are taking the time to really understand their perspective. And then they're more willing to, oh, th this individual is really listening to me. They feel that's part of making them feel safe. And then I will ask an open-ended question based on what they've told me. So I'm not just waiting to respond to have my turn if somebody says something to me. So let me give you an example. Somebody says something to you like, Christian, I feel like uh, you give Kate um, preferential treatment. And I feel like you don't, you know, you, you, you just, you ignore me a lot. And, and and so I might say, so what I'm hearing you say is you feel like I don't give you the attention that you would like. Can you, can you share with me how uh, you feel like I'm doing that? Then they might respond and you might say, what would help you? How can I help you show that, that you are as important to me than, than, as Kate? What, are, what about my actions would help you feel that way? See, now I'm asking open-ended question based on their, their responses. Let's take this example uh, and, and break it apart because I think you did something there that was really, really important. Oftentimes, and you know this, uh, both as a parent, uh, as a spouse, as a leader, when someone approaches you with a concern, our, our, our desires are are good, right? They like, hey, someone's coming here. They're expressing this concern. They're expressing it because they're dissatisfied. They're unhappy, and 
our natural inclination is for others who are around us to feel happy, right? right. So, so what do we want to do? We want to fix whatever is broken so that they feel happy. And, and we oftentimes have a tendency to prescribe the solution. You know, when someone comes to you and says, uh, oh, you know, I'm having this, this issue, uh, you know, we'll turn around and say, well, I can do this, we can do that. Um, we will, you know, we'll start spouting out uh, potential solutions that are coming to us you know, in front of our mind. But what you did is you reflected it back on the individual and asked them what they thought could be an effective solution to this problem, which I think that's really powerful, right? It's really powerful giving Why? them. Why is that more powerful than you coming up with the solutions yourself? Well, then I'm just dictating it, right? Like I'm, and then and then they're just feeling like they got to follow orders or and not. See, and the and the problem is, is most leaders dictate, not because exactly. they want to be dictators. Some of them are 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 benevolent dictators, right? Many leaders want to be these benevolent dictators. The problem is, is that most leaders do the suggestions because they don't have time to actually stop and listen. They don't have the patience. Why? Because we're understaffed. We have so much pressure to to perform, and it actually is is shooting ourselves in the foot. This is actually the investment of time, and it doesn't cost you anything financially, but the time and the attention. And when you do that, the solution comes from the team member and not you and therefore it is going to have more of an impact and greater engagement as a result rather than maybe hitting the mark it's perfect um i just looked at the time and i cannot believe that we've gone 53 minutes having this conversation i know we, and we actually have a lot more to talk about can i can i give a couple of examples of questions to ask absolutely so, what energizes you most about your current role? What do you, what do you love best? You know, what, what would make your, your job more satisfying? What, what is it that, that, um, you know, drains your energy or frustrates you about what you do? Um, do you feel, this is a closed ended question. Um, do you feel recognized? And if they say no, what would make you feel more recognized? And, you know, what, in what ways do you like to be recognized? Some people, some leaders really struggle giving feedback because they don't want it themselves. Others love to give encouragement because they're that way themselves. Make sure you're not just treating everybody the way you like to be treated as a leader. Ask them, how would you like to be recognized? Um, you know, what type of, of professional development opportunities are you interested in? Um, how would you describe, you know, your current work-life balance and what would, you know, what would be an ideal balance? Um, what do you like most or best about the company culture? What type of technology would make your day-to-day -day life easier? Is there something we can automate in the process, right? Some people use very antiquated systems. Smaller companies are using Excel spreadsheets and, and they're wasting so much time. There's so many tools that could simplify their life. Uh, as your manager, what can I do to better support you? Would you recommend our company to someone else? Why or why not? Uh, why is okay for a follow-on question, by the way, not as an initial question. Um, what what might tempt you to leave? Well, that's a risky question, right? So these are some examples of of questions that that you could ask, and. Um, and, and with permission, share the information with the company because uh, it, it lets people know that you are not afraid of feedback, which is one of the ways you make it safe for them to give you feedback. I think they're fantastic questions. 
you know, and when it comes to the why questions, I think it's important for people to understand whether it's explicitly or implicitly that the reason that you're asking the why question isn't for them to justify, but it's for to help you gain understanding, right? Yeah. So, so uh, you're just asking for clarification. You know, it's not it's not about them having to feel like they have to defend themselves. You know, but that's the the purpose of the why question is for you. It's not for you to be critical. It's for you to gain understanding. Yeah. And, and, and so I'm just going to say one more thing about this. We, I know we're out of time. We have a lot more that we, we could say. Follow up. How, how are we doing since we last spoke? You know, you talk about things that you're willing to do and things that you're not willing to do. But if there's something that you've promised, check in with that, with that employee. And just like you expect them on an employee uh, performance review, you're going to expect improvement. Check in with them. How are we doing? On, on those things that, that we uh, that we talked about that you would like to see more of and, and less of so to, so to speak you know don't don't just drop it until the next time you you talk stay connected with your people you don't have to have a next formal interview to do that by the way it could be a very quick check-in I will say the only way that you'll remember that is if you've recorded it I, I know I'm not talking about recording it on camera but you've written it down uh, you know you've taken notes and and because if you don't, then you forget about the conversations that you had and those specific totally. things. So you need to, yeah. And that's another way to show interest is that you're actually writing down what people are telling you, you know. So, and, but I, 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 I do that when I coach. I ask for permission. Hey, do you mind if I take notes while we talk? Yeah, exactly. Perfect. Well, gosh, Spencer, uh, <laughs> the hour has flown by. Uh, but before we before we bid adieu to everyone here. I think it's important for us to announce who we've got coming up next because oh my got goodness, a, we we she's have a, an, she's amazing, and we need to we need to give people time to put this on their calendars. Get because, this on the calendar. Our next date, we I, I'm going to be out of town for several weeks, uh, so we're taking a little bit of break. But on March the 11th, that's a Monday. Normally we don't do it, but we're having Meredith Elliott Powell, who is a Hall of Fame speaker. She's the chair of the board of the National Speakers Association. She is an incredible speaker who focuses on uncertainty. Well, we live in a VUCA world, as you know, volatile, uncertain, you know, chaotic and, and ambiguous. And she is somebody that thrives in, in that ambiguity and that uncertainty, helping organizations and teams perform at their best. And so noon uh, Eastern time, 10 Mountain time, she is going to be joining us. And we're so excited. She's She's an incredible speaker, great energy, uh, absolutely gorgeous, just a wonderful, gorgeous person, just a, one, so much fun, talented, energetic, and so we are so excited to have her uh, on, our, on our show next. All right, guys, put that on the calendar, 11th of March, noon Eastern, 10 a.m. Mountain Time, Meredith Elliott Powell is going to be joining us and sharing some incredible insights Spencer, it's been a fantastic hour. If people want to connect with you and learn more about how these personality assessments could be used to effectively change their team structure, dynamics, organization, or if they want coaching to help them to become more effective team leaders, how do they get in touch with you? You know, reach out to me on LinkedIn. There's actually a link under my profile that says schedule a one-on-one -on -one with me. And if you want, you can message me and I'll send you a, a, a demo of this 
ProScan and, and we can talk about it and how I use it for stay interviews to improve retention. And Christian, you have you didn't talk about that, but you've had you've done thousands of interviews of stay interviews with the International Olympic Committee. And if someone wants to learn how they can do these types of interviews with their organizations, how do they reach you? Well, LinkedIn as well. You know, just go check out Christian Napier on LinkedIn and please uh, connect with me. I'm happy to have a conversation with you. All right. It's been a fantastic hour. Spencer, thank you so much. Listeners, viewers, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, We appreciate it so much. Like and subscribe to our podcast. We'll catch you again on the 11th of March.